Welcome back to Common Sense Fantasy Baseball. I'm Drew, and after a brief hiatus, uh, I am back today, and I have a special guest, Dave McDonald of Rotosaurus and High Stakes Heat Podcast. Dave, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, Drew. Thanks for having me. I guess people know you as Less Than Dave or Run DMC DMCD on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Add that D. <laughs> Yes. Well, thanks so much for joining me. I've, I've enjoyed the uh, podcast you and Jake have done, the, the High Stakes Heat podcast. And, thanks um, so much. Yeah. You know, we've, we've talked on, on Twitter and argued about things over the last couple of seasons. So that's <laughs> always fun, too. Um, sure. And I, I wanted to have you on today specifically to talk about, um, we're going to kind of focus on pitching, but really I want to focus on what kind of risks you think about. And I wanted to just at the, at the start highlight something you said, I think on the last podcast you guys did about stuff to look for in pitchers. And so some of the things are pretty intuitive, like uh, strikeout rate, walk rate, age, even I think a lot of us start to think, well, okay, obviously there's risk, uh, you know, when, when, when players get older. And then the fourth thing was health. And uh, I thought that was a really good sort of holistic way of looking at, at things. And, you know, I try to feel like I take a balanced approach, but um, I think, um, you know, some of us are, you know, better at some things than others. I and mean, taking the risks into account is something that I've, I have, uh, you know, tried to glean from your wisdom on. I think, I think you do that well. And I, I think that's one thing I wanted to talk about today. So um one, one thing that comes up before we get into, you, you were kind enough to send me a list of, of, you know, some players we can talk about um, that you may be higher or lower on than others due to risks. But uh, one guy I know you were off at some point last year was Verlander. Um, yeah. Do you remember kind of how that developed? Were you just off of him the whole offseason or did it, did it happen at some point? Yeah. Um, and I started, I, I kind of joined Twitter around the like late, uh, probably around this time, honestly, in 2019. Um, I mean, I've been on Twitter for years, but I never really became a part of the fantasy baseball community like I am now. Uh, I mean, I didn't have any like followers or anything. I was just kind of there to get information and everything. But um, I started sharing some things and then Vlad started retweeting me, Vlad Sedler, Rotogut. Um, we've been friends for like a decade and play, play high stakes fantasy baseball together through NFBC. And uh, it was probably around January or February that I started tweeting about Verlander and, you know, I saw some pretty um, well-known analysts ranking Verlander and Sale like in their top three to five starting pitcher lists. And I was like, oh my gosh, this, this is crazy. Like these guys aren't even guys I would even draft, let alone take as my first three to five starting pitchers. So, I mean, it was pretty clear to me that Sale was going to need um, Tommy John and Verlander uh, was, I believe, 37 going into the 2020 season, which right away, um, even assuming he's healthy, I'm off of him. Um, it, I'm not using a top three round pick on anybody 34 or older, um, unless there's some very extenuating circumstances, but 37 is far too old. Uh, and I, and I get that he had some great seasons in there as a 35 and maybe even 36 year old, but, um, it, it's just too big of a risk. Cause at some point there will be issues with that. And um, yeah, so I was off him the whole time. And then Jeff Zimmerman wrote a really good uh, mining the news piece closer to the start of the season where he was talking about Verlander changing like his arm angle to try to put less pressure on it and to try to be able to throw for, to have a longer career 
and he was going to start throwing like a little less hard and he was going to change, try to change some stuff to kind of increase uh, his ability to um, not put as much stress on his arm and everything. And I, and at that point I was like, okay, like not only was he already off my list, but now he is way off my list. Like I, and I thought everybody should have completely taken him off of uh, at least consideration for the first five rounds or so just based on that. So that's kind of how I, felt about Verlander going into 2020. Wow. You said a lot of good stuff there. I think, um, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, uh, you know, sale and Verlander were sort of obvious to you earlier, um, or at least, you know, fades at their price, um, I think is an important one because I remember the, the Jeff Zimmerman article you're talking about. And I don't believe I drafted Verlander after that, at least yes. I can say that for myself, but I had a lot of them earlier. I'm a, I'm a big draft champions guy. And so okay. I had several leagues where I had already had Verlander months before, you know, the, um, the March news or whenever it was that, that, um, that Jeff highlighted. So I think, uh, you know, like I said, I feel like I take a fairly balanced approach to, about to managing risk, but I think you're, you're doing some things at the next level that I really want to get into. So um, uh, when people were taking sale early in draft season, I remember as far back as first pitch Arizona. So that would have been still in 2018. We were doing just some for fun drafts and, you know, I would see sale talked about as a, uh, you know, not in the first few rounds kind of guy Uh, was, was there, any point I know cost is a is a part of this and we're going to have to kind of try to remember to talk about things with the frame you know the framework of what what the cost is right so you're like you're off to Grom this year I assume you're not off to Grom if you can get him in the 10th round you know like it's right. just not gonna happen exactly. and so it, when we're talking to, I'm sorry go no, ahead. no 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 I'm sorry go ahead and finish and then I'll well <laughs> I was just going to finish my question about sale, which is, is what, it, at what point would it have taken last year for the risk to be worth it for you? Or is that a, is that a sort of a different situation? Yeah. So that, that's a different situation. So before the Jeff Zimmerman article, I would have still taken Verlander, um, you know, if, if he had fallen to like, I don't know, the sixth or seventh round, maybe. So I guess it's not fair to say that he was off my board completely before that article. Once that article hit, he was completely off. Like, I'm not drafting him, period. And Sale was always on my complete fade, not drafting uh, list. So, basically, I look at guys as three things. I, it's either a guy I'm targeting, a guy I'll take if I don't have any targets uh, available and they've maybe fallen a little bit, and then guys who I completely fade. And so, Verlander would have been on that middle tier uh, before the article, and then he went to the third tier after that where he was a complete fade. And sale was always a complete fade for me. That's fascinating. Well, let's let's get into some players from this year then, because I, I really like that way of sort of looking at it. Uh, I, I try to think that I'm similar, but sometimes it's hard with the fades. You know, if a guy drops far enough, even if it's a guy that you're not targeting, it's hard not to get tempted at some price. Right. But um, but but you know, if you believe like with sale last year that. He's, you know, headed for surgery. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe that price is a, is a lot. You know, maybe that price is last round of the draft or something. You know, I or, the, the thing is, I just I don't think I'd ever even even then use him. Like I'm looking at 
uh, I, I want I want guys that I can use on my team right away. And I feel like if I take sale and then he turns into nothing, like I did that, you can just drop him and pick someone else up. But I'm I'm usually trying to set myself up for the first couple of weeks of the season to start strong. And I want to look at who's having two starts in the first two or three weeks and uh, who's who or who's facing weak teams and whatnot, that if they uh, maybe like a borderline talent that, you know, if they look OK in their first start or two, now I can use them week two or week three when I have a little more confidence in them. I just don't think I was ever going to get there with sale. And I think people are so afraid, afraid of missing out on like these great talents when they're healthy that they stop realizing that like Chris sale healthy isn't Chris sale, not healthy. Like those are two completely different players. Right. So I'm I know that I'm not getting elite healthy Chris sale. And so I just completely put that out of my mind. I think people have a real hard time with that, like separating the two as two separate players because they really are. And yeah, I think it, I think it just comes down to that and like being able to, to not just look at things with those rose tinted glasses of, okay, I'm going to, even though I know that he's not healthy, I'm going to convince myself that he is just because I want to take him because people feel like this warm and fuzzy feeling like, Oh, it's Chris sale. I'm getting him like at this great, like what I call perceived values. And uh, like, you think that these guys are great values. Like I heard, I hear people talking about, and we'll get into it later, but Giancarlo Stan, they're like, oh my God, I can get him at pick 100 and whatever. He's such a great value there. It's like, no, he's not. But you think he is because you remember that year that he hit 59 home runs and you, you know, you're, you're looking at it through rose tinted glasses instead of reality. Yeah, I like, I like that. That makes sense. And you know, that actually kind of leads me into one of my first questions for 2020. And that is you're, um, you're again off, off sale. And you can tell me if these guys are just completely hard fades, but also Syndergaard and Severino, all yeah. of whom are supposed to be back at some point. Does that just kind of go back to your thing about you want players you can plug in from the start of the season uh, and you're not willing to wait and see, hey, maybe I can get 90% of Chris Sale or 70% of Chris Sale, uh, you know, when you wouldn't even get that player, whoever that player is, until several months into the season anyway. Yeah, so that's the thing. None of those guys who are coming in halfway through a season are just going to come in like, you know, hit the ground running and they're going to be throwing seven, eight innings and, you know, being their elite healthy selves. Like that doesn't happen. These guys are going to have control issues. Um, and, the other, and the other thing is like, you're going to constantly be questioning, like think about, you know, fast forward a couple months of the season and you have to try to decide whether to start a guy or not. Are you going to feel confident coming off of their injuries and everything that they're going to be able to be effective? Uh, and for me, it's definite no. Um, I mean, there's a chance that one of those guys may have some quality starts towards the end of the year, but like you're talking about holding him for that long. Now, if you're talking about draft champions, I can kind of understand why like a last round pick. Okay. If he, if he comes back at some point, but I would much rather, I just think there's better shots to take. I, I, and, and they won't go that late if we're being honest, just, on name value alone, someone will jump them up and like think that they're getting a value at pick 200 or whatever when they're not. Um, and right so on. like those guys, I just don't see any value there. Like, and you definitely don't want to be taking them on a non-draft champions team where you have like limited bench slots. You've got seven bench slots and you're going to hold a guy for months waiting for him to come back. It, it It's, that's a losing proposition. Yeah. That, that much, um, I think I've always seen pretty clearly that, you know, if you're going to get some guy and not use him until June or July, what's, what's the chance that you're even right. able to hang on to him without it hurting you somewhere else. So 
Um, the, the the one different player that I believe you're also off on for this season is Jamison Tyone, or obviously the similarity is he's coming back from, uh, I believe it was Tommy John or, you know, a, a year plus off from playing so that I can see that, but uh, is he the same in the same category for you as the, or the, as these other guys are, or since he should be healthy, I believe at the start of the season, is, is that a little bit different for you? Would you, would you take him at some price? Yeah. Uh, I know he, he underwent, um, I think surgery in August of 2019. I'm reading here. Uh, it says he should be ready for the start of spring training. I might feel differently come spring with him. I just feel like he's missed a lot of time lately and, uh, Oh, elbow injury. Yeah. Coming back from elbow injuries, I'm always skeptical. Um, I just, I think he could be a good buy in 2022, but going from a short season to a full season. And I mean, you know, he, he threw 37 innings. So between 2019 and 2020, he threw 37 innings. Um, what is a realistic expectation for him in 2021? You know, like I, I it feels like anything over like a hundred innings is pretty aggressive. Um, I, I don't know. It just, it, it just doesn't seem like uh, he's just not the kind of guy I, I like to take a shot on. I'd rather take a shot on a guy who maybe has uh, um, some skills issues that he could iron out or something like there's just other chances that I'd rather take than, than tie on. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, this, this may be the first part that I'll, um, venture to disagree slightly and that is I feel like a guy if he's gonna start the season at least healthy and, and he has that kind of upside to be you know a top certainly a top 25 pitcher um, I, f I feel like if you can get him at that price maybe around the 20th round um, in a 15 teamer where you're probably going to be dropping um, I don't know if I don't know what you would say maybe 50 percent of the players that you draft in the last 10 rounds of the draft, you know, um, that would be, that would be my case for maybe giving Tyon a chance. Although I can totally see the, um, the, the point that, you know, if you can get someone who's had a better track record of health, even if the upside isn't quite as high, you might end up getting more value long-term. Um, the only player that seems to come to mind right now is, is Mike Miner, who you could literally get in the 30th round of a yeah. 15 teamer. Um, just, but, tends to be pretty healthy if he can sort of get his groove back, but the upside is definitely not as high as Tyone's. Uh, yeah. Um, I, again, I just, I, I do, do you really think that you're going to be getting, like you're talking about the upside, you're talking about top 25. You think you're getting that Tyone for 2021? That's a good point too. You're so you're saying even if he is in the game, it may take yeah. him several weeks or months to get back to the level that he's capable of. Yeah. I think it would be, silly to think otherwise i mean you know getting out back up to speed for not pitching basically for two straight years uh and that's you know assuming he's even healthy so i, I don't know like he i don't think he's going at a great price honestly like i can get jordan montgomery at the exact same time that i can get jameson tyon and i would much rather have jordan montgomery i mean guys going slightly before him like john means brady singer uh even like you know, I just think, I think there's, there's better bets after him. Even I, I think I'd rather take a shot on Eduardo Rodriguez, even than him. I just like, if, if Tyon was going closer to maybe, I don't know, 300, maybe 70 picks later, I, I would consider it, but at, you know, 235, it's, it's uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know what uh, ADP you're using. I, I kind of just look at the last month of, uh, of NFBC drafts. So that's kind of where uh, I'm getting my ADP from, but 
yeah, it's just, it's still too high for me. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, you, you get to that point and you feel like there are, are, are no safe options. And so you'll, you'll just go throw, throwing darts. But um, I'm, I'm sort of of the mind that there, there's never a point in a draft where I really want to throw darts. I, I always want to, you know, take the, the highest uh, likelihood bet that I can find at the time. And, um, and I, I kind of agree that there, there are, there are players around there. I, I'm not actually looking at ADP right now and uh, I haven't drafted in a few weeks. So I uh, may not, you know, be able to, to throw out the best names, but uh, some, at some point, you know, upside doesn't always trump, um, you know, actual usability. <laughs> you know, if somebody can be in right. your lineup week to week and get you some stats. So yeah, you kind of have to differentiate between the theoretical and, and the real. And it's kind of like, you know, in theory, I think people are always thinking like, okay, I remember him at his peak, but you're not getting that. And uh, unless you yeah, have, like, unless you have good reason to think that you're getting that, you know, then it's different. Um, well, I really like the way you, you sort of put it earlier, which is, you know, are you are you getting Chris Sale really? Or are you getting right. you know fifty percent of Chris Sale? Are you getting some different player altogether? Are you getting yeah. a guy who's going to struggle with command, even yep. though he's not usually a guy who struggles with command? Are you, you know, what what are you getting? And if you can't answer that question, then maybe there's there's greener grass elsewhere. Yeah, let's. Let, you, you know, where I think this is going to be more useful, I I, I wanted to start with those because I think those guys are super interesting. Uh, I'm kind of coming around to your way and, and you know it's like if you, if you can't even really know that you're getting innings then what are you getting you know so you, so you might just want to take a little bit lower quality pitcher that's going to actually be in the game yes so that's 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 kind of where I'm coming out for those late round guys but I think where we're really going to make some hay here is focusing on the early guys because I think you know that's where people mess up their draft. That's what I did with Verlander last year in, in the draft champions leagues. Um, and so you have sent me a list of guys that you're just um, avoiding or maybe even totally fading. And we'll sort of get into maybe the specifics of, of which we sort of talked about DeGrom, um, you know, and, and he's a guy who you're going to have to get by the middle of the first round if, if right. not sooner. Um, is, is that a, is that a total fade or is that just, uh, someone who's going to have to fall to get you interested because of the risk? Yeah, it, that's what it is. Uh, for, for DeGrom, it's, it's a case that he's just going far too high for any sort of risk. Like I don't want to take anybody in the first couple rounds who I think has any sort of, uh, even remotely real, uh, you know, significant risk. And for him, I, I admit that it's not necess- it's nowhere close to like Verlander last year yet. Um, but in 2018, 2019, he had some minor elbow issues that were popping up. Uh, and then he also had, and people I don't think realize this because the season didn't start till later. He was dealing with finger, hamstring, back and neck uh, injuries in 2020. But some of these popped up before the season started. And then some of them, he like, I think he only missed like a start or two in 2020, but they were like popping up consistently. And uh, I just think that all these little things build up and he's getting older. I think he's, uh, oh man, I, I forgot how old he is now, but. Um, he's 32. 32, um, okay. And he'll, he'll be, he's about, he's about 32 and a half actually. So he'll turn okay. 33 during the season next year. Yeah. And um, talking with Phil Dessau, we, we figured out that at age 32 is when you start to see some, uh, the, the risk increase amongst starting pitchers. And then 
for me, like when it gets to 34, it's when I'm definitely just, I'm just out. I'm not taking anybody 34 or older in the first couple rounds. Um, and it's, it's, I'm always looking for reasons to eliminate guys because that helps me avoid the landmines. Um, and it, it's, could he be fine? Yeah. But like people, the mistake that people make in fancy baseball is they're more concerned about him being a slightly better pitcher than Bieber then looking at all of the other factors around it, like, okay, but Bieber is healthier. He's younger. He, he, you know, it's like, is DeGrom a better pitcher when, when he's, you know, healthy? Sure. But is that going to be a big enough difference between them to make the pick of DeGrom over Bieber? And there's just zero reason for that, in my opinion, like he's not significantly better. And I said this going into 2020 as well, but I just think that taking DeGrom in the first round is a bad process pick. It's you're not using good process. You're taking him because you think he's a great player and he is, but that's not what matters. Uh, that may be the clearest I've ever heard that, but I, re I really like the way that you, that you say, you know, if, you, if you're comparing, I mean, you, you don't just compare skills and then do your rankings. Otherwise I would have, I would still have Denelson Lamette in my top probably 10 pitchers. I was thinking about putting him there before all this junk came up in October or, or yeah. September, but um, that's just not how you have to do it. You know, that's, that will get you uh, a team where, you know, 40 or 50% of your pitchers get injured <laughs> during the year because you haven't planned for anything besides who, who has the best top line skills if, if everything goes well. So exactly. it, it, it's a, it's, it's a great way to think about it. And, you know, I, I kind of agree. I mean, there are at least a, a handful of these guys who have top five potential. Um, DeGrom is undoubtedly in that category. But, you know, if, if he's the riskiest of the five, I can see putting him at the back end of, of your rankings. Do you, do you actually do pitcher rankings for yourself or publicly? Um, so I, I've kind of debated this because uh, I, I don't typically. I have in the past, but recently i kind of and i'm 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 trying to do uh now that i have more time uh, to do something more um like not necessarily rankings but have all the relevant stats i mean the thing is you can rank guys but like they're they're also different right like like kyle Hendricks compared to i'm trying to think of someone else who goes around this time but uh you know guys who do give you different skills right like you can't you can't compare them necessarily because it kind of depends on your team build. Like if I already have some high upside uh, strikeout arms, now uh, Hendricks is a guy I'd probably be looking to take because I love his his skill set. I love his stability, but he's not going to give me that those Ks that I need. But if I, you know, if I go, um, you know, if earlier I get a guy like Kershaw or something who doesn't give me a ton of Ks, I might need to go for a higher upside guy that where, where Hendricks goes. Um you know, sure. it, it kind of depends on your team build, right? So, so making rankings is kind of, it, it's, it's hard for me because I don't think of it as like, this guy is one better than this guy. It, it, it depends a lot on, okay, this guy will give me better. I think he'll give me better whip. This guy, I think will give me has a better shot at wins because of his team situation, uh, innings pitch. There's, there's a lot of factors and I've had people come to me saying, I want to pay you for your research and all this stuff. And I, I'm considering it, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what makes the most sense and rank putting rankings out there kind of 
you know, you put something out there like that and then people are like, oh, well, you had them as SP35 and, you know, I, I don't know. It just, it seems kind of relative. And I don't think anybody should use anybody's rankings, honestly. I think it's much more important to listen to what they have to say about a player and then decide what you think than just saying, well, I'm taking him over him because he has them as SP32 compared to SP34. And there's nobody's rankings that I trust, to be honest with you, where I would even consider it. So, um other than my own, I guess, but uh, I just like people looking at rankings, you're never going to be a good player. You have to know the reasons why that go into them. And, and most players, even when they're like, there's so many people out there who are great analysts who can uh, give you great reasoning as to why they have this guy here and there. And that's good information to listen to. But then like I watch them build a team and they have no clue, or I, I see their rankings and they're real far off. So uh, I just, I would, I would always, warn people not to use anybody's rankings honestly hey i think that's that's a really good point uh one of the things you you said just at very first in your into your explanation there was that you know kyle hendricks for instance um i like for instance i i do, i do sort of uh it's not really a ranking it's just sort of uh I guess you could call it a projection, but I'm just like, all right, how many strikeouts do I think he's going to get? How many wins? How many, how many, you know, what's his ERA and what going to be? And it's a total rough guess, yeah. but it helps me put players into um, sort of tiers because you can actually kind of calculate the points that they might get your team or, you know, some kind of value. And, you know, what I find is that, you know, guys pop up or down into a range that I wouldn't necessarily expect. So I've got like Kyle Hendricks is around 25, the 25th pitcher. And, and, and that's right around like Zach Gallen and right around like Corbin Burns, which what you were saying was you may need something very, very different. You, you may need strikeouts. You may need upside. You may not need what Kyle Hendricks gives you, but just looking at the fact that those guys can, can, can deliver something of similar value is a pretty interesting uh, thing for me and it's and it's led me to sort of change the way I see pictures so I, I would kind of recommend everybody do it for themselves because it really does does seem to help yeah. and um, the reason I asked though was just really because DeGrom you know like I, I I don't know that I don't know the best way to really ask this but I mean if you're dropping him I assume you're not dropping him um, past guys that are going in the third or fourth round you're just probably dropping him behind those guys that you think can really be elite first second rounders yeah and and i guess it kind of doesn't really matter because if you're not willing to take him <laughs> the round, you're just not going to have him anyways right so it's kind of like it's a, it's a moot point to even bother thinking about it past that but like yeah i'm taking obviously bieber and cole over him and also uh trevor bauer past that I, I don't know. Um, Walker Beeler, if he's in good shape, um, obviously it was, his conditioning was a concern going into last year, but if he gets his shit together, he should be fine for this year. Um, but, you know, Giolito, I'm not a huge fan of, but he's young, he's healthy. Uh, it kind of gets into that murky area once you get towards, like, the uh, second round, third round. Yeah, I, don't, I think it's a good point. I don't think you're ever going to have to decide between exactly. DeGrom and Giolito. <laughs> it's just right. not going to come up. <laughs> no. I don't think so either. And if it does come up, it's because there's more uh, than other people have gotten more concerned because like the point that I start to get concerned is well before most people do. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to um, skip around your list a little bit here. Um, sure. You're kind of off, off Darvish. And I, I sort of agree. I think there are more risks there than, than, 
than oh, even yeah. simply injury or, or, or age or whatever. But, um, but uh, you, you put Max Scherzer down and I'm, and I'm curious if that is, is mostly the age. Uh, I know he has had some health things too. Well, and if it uh, falls into the, the category of, you know, you're going to need him to fall or he's just a total fade. Yeah. He, Scherzer would be a guy um, I might, consider later but like I said first two rounds I'm not taking anybody 34 or older he's gonna be 36 to 37 uh he's gonna turn 37 next year at some point in the season Mm -hmm. uh I noticed a little bit of uh stuff decline in 2019 and then 2020 uh some command issues there as well obviously the the real high whip and everything was kind of seemed seemingly out of nowhere but the back issues too in 2020 um the older you get you know you don't get healthier, right? And back issues are something that never go away. And I, and speaking as someone who's had a um, major back injury for over a decade now, I can tell you it, it just, it gets worse and worse. And uh, he can probably pitch through it, but I think not only will it affect him, his performance, but it'll also probably cause him to miss starts here and there. And I just think based on age alone, he's probably going to just miss starts along the way as well. And it's just, that's just not the kind of guy I like to take. But if you were to fall a little bit, um, you know, a couple rounds, then yeah, he'd become a, a guy I'd consider. But again, I don't see that happening because like DeGrom, I, I don't I don't see him falling past, you know, even the third round, probably not. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I'm I'm pretty much right with you on Scherzer. Just to to back up if anybody cares, I, I don't know uh where how I feel about DeGrom. I I think, you know, you might be right. It's tough to 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 bump a guy like that down when he can be so elite, but um, I hear your concerns and I'm, I'm getting very interested at 32. It's a little different, but when we come back to Scherzer, I mean, 37 is, is getting up there and just the little nagging things we, we, we can all see them adding up and it, it yeah. kind of makes you wonder why he's ever going ahead of uh, Giolito or, or Enola or um, anybody with, you know, kind of to, to harken back to what you said before basically zero uh you know health concerns um yeah. and also you know at a younger age so uh, yeah, I, I certainly feel like scherzer maybe the last guy i would take that could could get you that really top line upside and, and maybe i go there in the, in the third round or something but i'm there's no way i, I think anyone should be taking scherzer over these other true aces that are, you know, 25, 26 years old. See, so. for me, I, I'm taking Woodruff, Gallen, Maeda, and Plesak all over Scherzer without question. Wow. So Maeda doesn't bother you despite his age? Um, yeah, I mean, he is obviously a little older as well. Uh, was he 34, I believe? Uh, he'll be 33, actually. Oh, okay. Not, 33. I actually thought he uh, – it's funny. I was going to say 34 as well, but uh, we're both wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Scherzer's just in that, like, next tier up in terms of, like, being, like, three years older. Um, right. Yeah, I agree. Um, With it's, DeGrom, it's not the age. It's the it's the stuff that you mentioned that was kind of starting to add up. So Right. The age was, a, another, was just another small factor in the, with yeah. DeGrom, yeah. I don't even remember Maeda missing a start. And, you know, as much as he was babied with the Dodgers, he should be pretty good to go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep moving. Um, I'm kind of with you on, on Snell. And I even feel like the, the risk isn't so much an injury risk. It's just a, 
how what, what how a leader the skill is going to be. Um, so let's let's just focus on somebody else. Strasburg's an interesting one. He's 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 actually pretty difficult to to talk about um, for me because I I, I don't. I don't know that I have a lot of experience. I don't know that there's a lot of data with people yeah. that have had this injury, this, this carpal tunnel surgery that he had. Um, so is it just sort of <laughs> the fear of the unknown plus the price? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, I was, if 2020 were a full season, I was going to be totally off of him. And so I don't know if you've, uh, anyway, if you've heard our pod, you might've heard that, uh, you know, he helped lead my main event team to uh, a, my 10th place overall in the main event um you know he was he was the ace that we we took in the fourth round uh but we hated Strasburg like it was it was it was really uh a point where his talent outweighed the risk because like there was nobody else going in the fourth round at that point that was still on the board that had the ability to be an ace like he did um and so we decided to take a chance and then backed him up with some guys like Beaver and some other guys who worked out for us thankfully um but anyways, like, yeah, I don't know with this carpal tunnel neuritis, I don't know what, you know, I know his hand went numb last year. I don't know if, if this is going to be an ongoing issue. I listen to a lot of doctors um, in the off season. So I'm assuming some of them will cover this at some point. So I'll be interested to hear what they have to say. Uh, I don't think it's going to change my mind on him though, because just like at the point he's going, um, I would rather take a, a different type of risk, like, uh, you know, Carrasco, for example, uh, kind of goes around the same time, but I'd, I'd rather take him than, than Strasburg. And going into a full season, I never thought he's going to be healthy because coming off of 2019, like the first time he's able to stay healthy for a whole season in a long time, 2020 seemed like the perfect uh, time for him to disappoint, and he did. Um, and so going again from a season that he barely pitched in 2020 to now, expecting him to go full season in 2021 i don't see it yeah i i have very little to add there <laughs> i completely <laughs> agree with you I, it does seem like you know you're you're you're, you're clearly getting a discount from like strasburg at 100 percent. Right. but who how often have we seen strasburg at 100 <laughs> percent? so if i you know i would need to get like a 10th round price here i think to even be interested so and that's yeah. not going to happen so um, I'm pretty much, pretty much on board there. Um, well, let's talk about Lament really quick. I feel like he's, <laughs> he's super interesting and, and, you know, the upside is, is, is palpable. You know, he, he, he could literally be, uh, one of the top five pitchers uh, in the game. That's, that's the upside. Um, for me, you know, there, there are a couple reasons to be skeptical of that. One is, you know, he's small sample size, so we don't want to get too carried away. But the real thing is um, the injuries that have popped up. And so, so again, I want to let you sort of talk about that um, because I feel like you, you have a better handle. To, this is where my, my balance, uh, balanced approach may need to um, come closer to your sort of just burn it down approach, which is if, if, <laughs> if you can't trust the guy, just take him off your board. And so I want to find a price where I feel like Lamette is worth it but he's not getting anywhere near that. I don't think he's still going in what the fourth or fifth round in a 15 teamer. Yeah. Uh, he's let's see. Pick 69, honestly, right around where Strasburg goes. So, you know, you're fifth talking around, yeah. you're talking if, if he's, if he's still on the board come March for NFBC main event, live main events, he's going to be going in the fourth round uh, for sure. Mm. Um, right now he'd be more, 
like mid fifth. So is there a point that could, could he come do things in spring training that would make you want to draft him again or <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Lamette is, uh, is number one on my list of uh, complete and utter fade. Uh, he had PRP in his elbow in October and that's the end of it for me. Uh, PRP like 90% of the time means you're getting Tommy John. Uh, and I would quite frankly be shocked if he was still, uh, if he, if he didn't, if this didn't happen before spring training even started, um, I'm hoping he gets through spring training somehow by, by, you know, grace of God or whatever. I don't know, but I'm hoping that he gets there. So that people still waste to pick on him because it's, it's not, gonna work out. uh, he's, he's, he's not going to be pitching in 2021. I'm convinced. Wow. Well, I, I value the experience you're bringing to those statements. But <laughs> you couldn't be more clear. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take heed from that. Uh, I mean, there's been like maybe one or two cases where a guy gets PRP and they're able to pitch. But even when they do, like Tanaka, they're not – I mean, he's been like on and off with his quality of his pitching. So I don't know if it has anything to do with that. But they're basically they're trying to use PRP to not have surgery. They don't want him to miss – you know, because Tommy John – means you're missing a year and a half or whatever. Um, and they don't want that to happen. So they're trying to still get something out of him, but eventually it's going to fall apart. Yeah. Well, like you said, I mean, if he can sort of stave it off for long enough, people are going to start drafting him in the fourth and probably even the third round if he looks good enough in the spring. So uh, that's definitely a, a red caution flag from Dave guys. So for sure. <laughs> good to hear. Well, let's really quickly jump to some of the, the risks you do like, which I thought your list was really interesting. You already, you already mentioned Carrasco and you yeah. can talk about him a little, if you want, I assume it's just a matter of the price is right. And the skills are still there. If he can stay healthy, he's going to be worth it. Yeah. Carrasco um, is a guy who I, I would normally be off of, but the fact that he, where he goes, it's like, fifth round, which is around the time where I'm open to taking uh, a decent risk, but he's going to be coming into the season healthy, but obviously uh, coming back from cancer and he has a pretty rich injury history himself. I mean, this is a guy who uh, is by no means uh, a beacon of health, but um, I feel like by the fifth round, if you need that ACE level upside, if, if you um, kind of secured a pitcher or two, above him who you feel are very sturdy and safe and there's no risks. Like I would never pair Carrasco with a guy like DeGrom or Darvish or Snell or, or something like that. Like you want a very safe floor above him with your starters and maybe even some after to make up for it. But he has that ACE level upside. And if you watch him in 2020, the first half, you can tell he was definitely not right. Uh, and maybe just because I'm an Indians fan, like I, I watched, you know, most of his starts. So I saw it happening. And then, and then he flipped a switch and you could tell he was his elite self again. And he looked great. Um, and I'm really hope like it's a great story coming back from cancer and everything. Like I, I hope, I really hope he keeps performing moving forward. I'm not, you know, it, I'm, I'm not putting him down for 200 innings. I'm not saying he's going to be, uh, you know, healthy for the entire season, but I think for where he goes and his skills. And if you look at the other guys going around him, Lamette, Strasburg, Ryu, um, you know, they, they all have risks themselves, right? So you're not, it's not like you're taking him, I would never take him over a guy like Plesak. So like, it's just relative to who else is going at the time. Makes sense to me. Yeah, I actually got him in the, the sixth round in one of my uh, draft champions leagues. So I, like I don't, 
I don't disagree. I was very happy about that. And, you know, like you said, a lot of it is if they're, if they're on schedule, as far as we know, to start the season healthy, that at least gives you something, you know, exactly. so you're not, you're not completely dealing with a hope, hope situation like with Lamet. Like I hope Lamet is healthy and has an okay 2021, you know, injury free as possible but he's injured right now you know so yeah and that, that's that's the to... big difference yeah it, like guys who are already injured you have to decrease much further than guys who just have the the track record of having extensive injuries like a darvish for example like he might be going into the season healthy but he has an extensive track record but when you're taking him in the second round or actually he's honestly i've seen darvish going at, like around the turn in the first round and everything that's wow. just that's that's not good process right yeah um let's let me hit one more um well it's, well two real quick but uh the the first um one i wanted to ask about is musgrove just because i didn't really sort of see him as a as a, a risk per se um other than maybe the skills aren't as good as we might not be as good as we hope <laughs> <laughs> is, um, is there an injury situation there that i don't know about i, I haven't really been a huge musgrove follower yeah, uh, I mean, he um, he's ha he's had uh, fairly extensive um, injury history as well. Like since 2017, uh, one, two, three, four, five, I think like six different injuries, um, including back-to-back -back years of right shoulder injuries in 2017 and 2018, uh, right triceps inflammation in 2020. Like Honestly, other than 2019, he still had, he still missed some time with a right foot injury, but he's fairly healthy in 2019. But um, yeah, it's, it's a combination of both. Like people fall in love with the skills with him, right? Like he's never put up the numbers that he gets drafted for. I mean, like people are always just hoping that he, that he puts them up and he never does, but I still like him because like he does have that, uh, those elite skills and he can put it together. It's just a question of getting him at the right price. But yeah, he does have, uh, definitely has uh, a bit of a sketchy injury history as well. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, he's going around pick 135. Um, I just think at that point, it, it's, that's where you want to take those risks. Like you're, you can get an, an elite level starter and there is some risk to him. But if you have the right team build going up to there, like you don't have a bunch of risks before him. Joe Musgrove, I think is a great time to jump in with, uh, hey, I'm going to take a shot here. This is a guy that can, and he's not going to kill you, right? Like this is like a, an eighth, eighth round pick will probably be in like the mains, you know, that's not going to kill you. Um, losing your first, second, third rounder. That's what's going to, that's, what's going to kill your team. Wow. Well, that's, it's more upside than I probably would have uh, uh, rated him at, but maybe I need to take a closer look. Well, the, I mean, other... I, I'm not, I'm not saying he's like a top three round pick necessarily. I'm just saying like, I think he's his, uh, skills are much better than pick 135 like i think he can return you know fourth fifth round value possibly something like that okay well i i really am just completely pleading ignorant here because i've always heard people talk about musgrove and never really saw what was so special myself now i will say in his last two starts this year i think everybody saw what he could be uh i just didn't know if that was you know it, it's it's impossible for me to feel confident with anything in that short of a sample size. But uh, it sounds like you know him a lot better than I do. I didn't even remember <laughs> the injuries. I honestly never really heard much about Musgrove before maybe the last two years when people just kept talking him up. And then as you said, it, it, just, it hasn't really come to fruition yet. But 
Um, but yeah, maybe that's a spot that you want to take a chance if, if he has that kind of upside. Uh, the other guy that has always been interesting to me, but, and you said you were willing to take a risk on, which kind of surprised me with him as well, is, is, is Griffin Canning, because he has been um, you know, riddled with injury the last couple seasons. Um, so is, he, is, it, is this a, uh, another situation where the upside is just that great in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, and I and if I, I'm sorry, I didn't uh, uh, look into him extensively, but uh, recently I, I have in the past, but I believe he was a guy who had PRP last year as well, because he was he was a total fade for me in 2020, um, and you know he was a guy that I I knew that they were going to baby and everything, because you know I, I knew that they would be concerned about his uh, his innings and everything, um, but I I just think that. He, he is a really talented pitcher and getting him around, you know, in the mid three hundreds, I just think like, that's, this is what I, I you want to take shots on guys, right? Like taking risks is fine. You just don't want to do it early. Um, you know, like there's guys like Carrasco, you know, in the fifth round where the talent kind of outweighs the, the risk a bit uh, if other guys are off the board, but like later, this is where you want to take some shots, you know, not a lot, but you know, take a couple. Um, and I think, yeah, for his skills going, you know, in the mid three hundreds. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on him staying healthy. Um, but if he can give you some good starts, uh, I think the skills are pretty good. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I didn't, didn't realize he was going that late. I mean, anybody with that, that with upside that's, that you can see uh, in the mid three hundreds, that's exactly where you need to be taking your shots. And I, I tend to sort of do my pitching as a barbell sort of strategy where you you take some sure, you know, as sure as you can find things up up in the early rounds, and then you just get a bunch of pitchers late and hope you hit on a couple <laughs> because yeah. uh, I do think pitchers are a lot more uh, volatile as far as you know their one percent outcome and their one hundred percent outcome. You know, they can be worlds apart. I mean, just look at uh, uh, Kevin Gossman last year. You know, and expected him to suddenly do what everybody hoped he'd, he could always do so right I was gonna say like they kind of thought he could but then like they kind of had given up on him by then and then well exactly first, there, first we, we, we saw so much of his 10 percent outcome that you know it was it was it became hard to see the 90 percent outcome coming but uh it was it was great yeah I actually had him on my main event team but it it, it didn't it didn't do quite enough <laughs> <laughs> um Okay, so let's let's just real quick before we uh, conclude here, let's talk a little bit about hitters. And uh, okay. I'm curious if the process is any different for you with hitters. I know you mentioned, you know, just sort of being, I think, a pretty hard fade on like Stanton and Judge, yeah. um, and maybe some other guys you might want to talk about. Um, but then, you know, interestingly enough, I saw that you said you, you were willing to take the risk with with uh, Buxton. So I see the risk. Um, is greater with Buxton than, than those other two guys, but maybe it's a it's a difference in upside, or maybe it's just a difference in price, or maybe you see it differently. Okay, um, yeah, and this is kind of funny because like don't say that too loud because uh, my main event partner, one of my best friends, Tony, he is the biggest Buxton honk on the planet, and I'm always trying to talk him off of Buxton, but it's always because Buxton's going way too early, like. <laughs> And it, it definitely depends on where he goes. Uh, I'm not in on Buxton, you know, at pick 50. Uh, he's going like one, 110 area. Um, and at, at that point, I'm, I'm in on him a bit. Um, 
he's never going to be a guy I'm all in on because like the IL list might as well be named the Buxton list, right? Like this guy it, like lives on the IL list. Uh, I, I, looking at Jeff Zimmerman's um, uh, injury article that I, I reference a lot, you know, he's 26 years old and he has 204 career IL days. Um, and it's like, wow. Yeah, it, it's a lot. Um, he, the guy just can't stay healthy, but we also know that he has all the tools. Like he can, he can steal, you know, 35 bases and, and hit 30 home runs. So it's, and that's really what it's about compared to when you compare him to Stanton. Um, Buxton a hasn't, hasn't, has a position. He's an outfielder. Stanton is, is now uh utility only. Um, but it's paths to value, right? So like if, if Stanton, uh, you know, is healthy. All he gives me is power, right? Like he gives me home runs and RBI and that's it. Like he's a two category guy. His average might not be so bad that it hurts you, but it's not going to help either. And uh, he's not going to run. And uh, he also will sit a fair amount. Like Stanton will never be a guy that's in the lineup every day. And he's also had 20 different injuries over the past 11 seasons, uh, about half of which are knee and hamstring injuries. And, uh, you know, it's, there's just not a lot of past to value with him. Whereas with Buxton, if he's not running, he can still provide power. If he doesn't have power, he can still run. Like there's, there's multiple paths of value there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm also, like I said, I'm getting a position from him. So even though you might think he's uh, a bigger injury risk, which I would debate, I would say Stanton and, and Buxton might be about the same. Um, I mean, Stanton has 387 career IL days. He's obviously, um, you know, five years older. So, but he has double the the IL days basically at Buxton, which I don't know that people really realize. Like, Stanton's ninth on the career IL days at age 31 um, amongst hitters. So, you wow. know, he, he's very injury prone. And he, I don't know if people also don't realize because they they remember that one season that he had 59 homers in 2017. But since Every other year out of 11 seasons, he's never topped 38 homers. So like, you know, you're not even getting like, people are like, Oh, I'm going to get, you know, 50 homers out of him. I don't think so. Like based on what he did it once. I don't know. It's just, there's just, there's so few paths to value for Stanton. Whereas with Buxton, if God help me, if he can stay healthy, that guy has all the tools to, you know, push your team way ahead. But he's also not a guy I'm willing to jump way up either, you know, cause like the, the risk is definitely still there. You have to have the right team build where, you know, you're, you're supplementing with lesser risky players uh, around him. So um, that's kind of where I was coming from on Buxton liking the risk uh, at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense, um, especially, you know, the pads to value thing, not, not, not only just, you know, the percentage chance that he's going to, that he's going to be a value for you at the pick, but just the idea that he can do all these multiple things for you that, you know, Stanton really is, like you said, maybe you know, a two, three at the most um, category player. Uh, and that's, you know, you really, you really can't say he's even uh, more than a one category player if he's not getting you the volume, you know, cause you want somebody you can put in your lineup. For sure. uh, he, he's not going to get you the runs on the RBIs if, if, if he's not in there. Right. Um, and, you know, so Buxton, maybe even if you get him in there for five days a week sometimes and you have to sit him the next week, we might get you three steals during that time. So it's, it's, it's a little bit different situation there. Um, but, I, but I like the, 
the detail you, you give on, on sort of it, it being about the price. And, and I definitely agree with that. I, I wonder if, you know, I've heard people say that it depends on the type of injury. Um, oh yeah. It's pretty sure. compelling when you sit, when you list those facts, like um, the, the 20 injuries, I, be, I believe you said, or, or 21 injuries that Stanton has had in the last few years or, or in his career. I mean, yeah. that's just like, I don't know how you argue against that with any kind of theoretical, uh, you know, like, well, he hasn't had uh, this or that, or, you know, it's not uh, recurring, you know, it's like, well, but he's been injured 20 times, you know? So right. is that kind of how you see it or, or are there some injuries that you don't worry about as much? Well, it's, it's both though, because I, um, yeah, it's, it's 20 injuries, but it's also like half of those were the same types of injuries, like these lower body injuries. He has had constant issues with his knees and hamstrings. Like, so it, it is recurring for him. Um, yeah, like there is, there's a difference. Like Trey Turner is a guy who's had more injuries than most, but they're all kind of fluky injuries. They're like sliding into the base and, you know, jamming his finger and stuff like that. Like, or getting hit uh, in the hand with a fastball, like things that aren't going to be things that are going to be a problem for him moving forward. So I have no issues with Trey Turner whatsoever. Um, but when I see the same thing popping up repeatedly over the span of 10 years, and again, Stanton's now 31, you get, as you're getting older, you don't get healthier. So it's only going to get worse. Um, and I just think that anybody who's taking him just has 2017, 59 homers engraved in their brain. And when they draft him, that's what they're picturing, right? Like they're not picturing taking a guy who's going to miss half the season with lower body injuries and hit 21 homers, right? Nobody's picturing that. They're all picturing the 60 homer season. So it's again, back to reality versus the rose tinted glasses of I'm just going to see what I want to see. Got it. I think in going into 2019, um, I was, uh, on Michael Brantley. And I remember a lot of people saying Michael Brantley's injury prone, Michael Brantley's injury prone. And, you know, it was, it was different for, it, it, for me, uh, it, that worked out because I sort of shrugged off what had happened in 2016 and 27 in 2017 for Michael Brantley, because there were certain, certainly injuries, but then in 2018, he had just played a full season. So I'm curious if, if you would have what I'm trying to ask, I think, is, is there ever a time a guy can get off of your injury prone list? <laughs> and uh, if you would have agreed there or if I was bad process just happened to work out for me. <laughs> OK, so um, I'm sorry. I'm going to look at his uh, player page here because I don't uh, I mean, Brantley is uh, a former Indian. So I, I was kind of familiar with his injury passed a bit but what year was it that you drafted him so, so it was 2019 the reason i i, I point that out is because he was a very popular guy for people to to call out when they were talking about injuries and, and and he was called injury prone by i think more people than not um that i listened to and i just said well you know he, he just played a pretty full 2018 and that was about as deep as it went for me at the time i, I wasn't really <laughs> uh keyed in on all this um, and it really, it's less about Brantley and it's more about like, what does the guy have to do to get off your, uh, your, your naughty list? Yeah. I mean, if, um, it, it kind of depends, is it like a reoccurring thing? Is it something that was a fluky injury? Do you remember what with Brantley it was? Cause I'm kind of having a memory. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, 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 uh, more than two seasons ago. So it's okay. It's Actually, I just, 
I just loaded, um, I don't know if you, uh, you probably are familiar with Derek Rhodes, his awesome uh, injury timeline tool that he has. I've been meaning to get into that. It's been sort of the, maybe the buzz of the fantasy world in the, yeah. in the last month or so. It's really awesome. Um, the only issue is that it's kind of like that Tableau format where it loads really slowly and it's uh, like, it's frustrating to use, but it's awesome information. Um, okay. So in 2016, he had right shoulder surgery. And then like after that, he was, his right shoulder was still messed up. But like, honestly, uh, he never had any previous shoulder injury concern. Um, Like all of his stuff is limited to within that season. Like I'm not seeing anything that goes from season to season with him, which is something that I look for. Like, is it something like Stanton, you know? hamstring knee keeps popping up year after year um i'm not seeing that with brantley so i think i i try to differentiate like yes there are guys who just like you said get injured more often than others even if it's fluky you know whatever they still keep getting injured but what concerns me much more is people who have things that never really completely heal and they keep they keep re-injuring them. And I think it's just magnified with starters because there, you put so much more stress on your arm, your elbow, you know, your shoulder than hitters do. Cause hitters are, are not usually as big of injury concerns. Like on my list, I think I gave you like 15 pitchers and like three hitters, you know, it's like, you know, uh, to get off my naughty list, you really, from a hitter's perspective, it's really just don't have things that are repeatedly an injury year over year over year. And, but maybe like if it's not a thing for like three years and you play f- three full seasons in a row and you're not, you know, old by that point, then I, then I'd probably consider taking you uh, off the list, but you know, it, it's, it's a case by case basis. Well, Dave, this has been awesome. And we even, dis- we even got to somehow uh, make it seasonally appropriate there with the yeah. list thing at the end. So um, I, I really appreciate you letting me pick your brain uh, in this sort of, area of focus that I'm, I'm not as good on. Um, and it, it, it really has helped. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to like go back and listen to this and, 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 and take some things from it. And obviously I need to get on board with uh, what Derek has put out there. This whole thing might be moot if he's just solved this issue for fantasy, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, you know, this has definitely helped me a lot. So I really appreciate your time. I love hearing that, Drew. Um, I mean, if, if you listen to our show, you know we're all about, um, you know, helping people move forward and, and learn things and because we all have things to learn. And these are lessons that Jake and I have learned over the years of playing high stakes for, you know, I played for 15 years or so. Uh, Jake's played for like 10. Um, and, and it's, it's again, this is not stuff that's intrinsic. It's not stuff that people just know. It's stuff that, you know, we know because we played for so long. And, and honestly, you're not alone. There's so many people who are um, just completely ignorant when it comes to the risk evaluation. And it's the biggest part of the fantasy game, in my opinion, that's um, that's not being looked at correctly. And so the fact that you can recognize that and start to make changes is going to make you a much better player. And so uh, I, I commend you for that, man. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I definitely um, believe that it's something – just from listening to you that you've learned from experience. And so I started in the NFBC just in 2019 and um, did some things really well. And, uh, you know, I think, I think drafting is, is one of my, uh, my skills, you know, draft champions leagues 
uh, went especially well in that full season. And uh, we won't have, we won't talk about this short season, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of things I need to learn. And, and, and one of them is, um, you know, in uh, in event type leagues with fab, I, I need to get better at fab. So there, there's plenty more to learn. Um, and I just appreciate you sharing your experience, especially when it comes to what we talked to we talked about today, but um, absolutely. I know you've got your own uh, great podcast, which you mentioned, if you could just sort of um, talk about that and anything else uh, you're working on, just feel free to uh, plug away. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, high stakes heat, uh, Rotosaurus high stakes heat is the name of uh, the podcast that I do with uh, one of my best friends, Jay Callisker, uh, another fellow high stakes player. He won the auction overall um, in 2019 for 3NFBC championship. Um, and uh, yeah, we have a great time with it. We bring on a lot of uh, high stakes players um, and uh yeah, it's really uh, an evergreen strategic uh, sort of thing. It's not a bunch of listings, listing of stats and everything. It's kind of more trying to teach people what to look for and what strategies to employ uh, to become a better player more than, you know, focusing on uh, this guy over this guy and rankings and stuff like that. Because we're our focus is more to help people become better players more than just here's what we think, you know, take it or leave it. Um, and uh, we, we recently... Uh, on Thanksgiving, um, opened our merch line where we're selling a bunch of, uh, and in my opinion, I think we have the best logo in the industry. <laughs> uh, we've been sure. that a lot. Um, it's a, uh, it's an awesome dinosaur catching a baseball in its mouth, but, uh, uh, we have a, uh, we have, uh, one of my other best friends is a professional graphics designer and he just, he created this amazing logo for us based on our, um, our idea. And he just kind of brought it to life in a way that we, never could have imagined it would have been this good but like it's awesome and uh we're always coming out with new products and everything um so anybody who's looking for a cool looking dino logo to put some stuff check it out uh i'm also working on a uh draft kit um or draft guide i guess it is with uh sp streamer michael simeone um mike kerland shelly oh god i think it's like veruga straight I can't, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. I'm sorry, Shelly. <laughs> and uh, Chris Clegg. And it's going to cover starting pitching analysis, hitter analysis, prospect analysis, um, relief pitcher analysis, and then I'm going to provide the strategy section. So that'll be, it's going on pre-sale, I believe, next week. And then uh, it'll be available to people uh, shortly after the Super Bowl, I believe. Um, so those are kind of the projects that I'm working on right now. That's awesome. Thanks, man. And did you give the Twitter handle one more time? Oh, yeah. Uh, that Follow me on Twitter at RunDMcD, R-U-N-D-M-C-D. <laughs> awesome. Don't forget that second C. Or D. Yeah, don't forget that D. Yeah, otherwise you'll be tweeting <laughs> the band RunDMC, so, which has happened before. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dave. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. As, as always, everybody can find me uh, on Twitter at Common Sense FBB. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, stay classy, Planet Baseball.